Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. Before we get started, though, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton. Get the show out there. Share this with your friends, your coworkers, anybody that you know is into Texas Longhorn News and Sports. We also like to remind you that our podcast server, Podient, is offering all of our listeners a 14-day free trial of their premium services and 25% off your first three months. All you got to do is sign up using the code Longhorn. Now, again, I say it every week, but it makes podcasting so easy. You record it, you edit it, you put it up on their site, they take care of the rest. They put it out to all the, the services, whether it's you know iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify. Uh, they do all the analytics, they host all that stuff for you. It's incredible. So again, if you'd like to start your own podcast, all you got to do is go to Podient, that's P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O, sign up using the offer code Longhorn, and you can get 25% off your first three months of a premium membership and a 14-day free trial. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who is so upset he didn't get to try a corny pup this year, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Uh, I am good, man. I had a uh, had a big weekend, had another had another wedding, as well as, of course, an OU game I'm sure we'll we'll talk about. Congrats to the, the Fuller Wigs there. We actually I was very skeptical when we had a ten thirty Saturday wedding, but we did finish in time to all gather during the reception and watch the Red River showdown i believe it's called now which is which is great so uh yeah, so my heart is full like chris nelson's belly um it uh it was a great weekend for me i'm exhausted i also moved this weekend but yeah, enough about me i'm here and i am ready to talk some long words how are you gerald man i'm fantastic it's a good weekend uh my kid is doing all sorts of cool things like talking so that's been weird <laughs> uh but no things are things are going incredibly so kyle talked about it a little bit uh, a, a, a big game happened this weekend with a big result for Texas, so we'll talk some Red River shootout, showdown, rivalry, whatever you want to call it, all the names, RRS, RRR, whatever you want to call it. We'll also talk some Baylor preview, and then we've got some really special news for you about the Bang the Drum segment. You do not want to miss it, so stick to the end of the show. But let's get started. Big ticket item. Kyle, you and I were cautiously pessimistic about the game that feels like a good summation of our yeah. feelings we were realistically like well OU hasn't played anybody but Texas hasn't played anybody like OU and everybody else felt the same way college game day everybody but Pollock which uh, whatever picked OU to win they said Texas couldn't keep up with the OU offense and then Texas decided to hang 45 on them mm-hmm. And stay up by three scores for most of the game. Uh, they let OU back in the game late. OU managed to score uh, three touchdowns in ten minutes to close the game to a one-score game. And then our boy Cameron Dicker, the kicker, decided to knock one in from 40 to win the game. So Texas wins at 48-45, the highest point total in Red River rivalry shootout showdown history. Kyle, you and I were exchanging nervous texts in that fourth quarter, (laughs) but our faith has paid off. Texas is now five in one. How are you feeling after this OU game? You know, I, I I feel great. I think this is a a Texas team that just went through the 
uh, the the healthiest part of their schedule, or the you know the scariest part of their schedule, and came out five and one. I think when we were sitting here doing our preseason previews, if you would have told me that you know five and one, and we were feeling a dagger that we weren't six and zero, oh, I would think we're national championship bound. And I, I'm not ready to jump there. I think this team still has flaws. Again, I, I've said this a couple weeks in a row. I'm excited by the fact that Texas can still play a better game of football than the one they played, which was fantastic, but there was still room for improvement. They haven't played their perfect game that Tom Herman is sure can beat anyone in the country, and I agree with him. If this is 90-whatever percent, uh, this was a really, really, really fun, really good game. Um, I will only say one nice thing about him. If uh, the the Sooners didn't have Kyler Murray, this is probably like a you know 48-21 to 21 game. Um, the guy really was... Uh, incredible player out on the field and did a lot to keep them anywhere near in it. Um, and obviously it came down to the end where they were in it. But uh, I think Texas, by and large, without a doubt, was the better team uh, on the day. On both sides of the ball, obviously, the special teams unit, uh, they were the the much superior team. And I think um, it was a deserved win. I, I don't think there was anything fluky. I don't think Sooner fans can say, you know, there's this call or this thing or that, you know, really, if anything, it was a bit fluky that they made it as close uh, as the scoreline showed. But I think Texas definitely was the better team on the day. And so five and one, I mean, wins over USC, TCU, the dreaded Kansas State trip, Oklahoma. I mean, this is a really good team that's headed in the the right direction. I mean, I, I Am I am I crazy to think that a number nine rating isn't isn't you know un, unfounded? It's 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 somewhere around the range of accurate. Yes, realistically, no, pessimistically, <laughs> I I don't. This the number nine rating just leaves leaves too much of Texas is going to find a weird way to lose against Baylor for me to ever feel good about it. Uh, but I want to back up because you were saying that in preseason we we. If we if you had told us we were five and one and, and upset that Texas wasn't six and zero, oh, I remember after Tulsa when Texas was barely hanging on against mm-hmm. Tulsa, and we looked at the next four games and we said if Texas can go two and two over these next four games, then they're setting themselves up for a winning season and another bowl right. berth. And now there are some people that I think are dumb, but they're talking college football playoff. And one, I think that's ridiculous. But the fact that it's even in the conversation is is just is just just crazy to me. Well, I mean, there there are there are some who who have been shouting eleven one eleven and one since the Maryland game. I mean, uh, what what a great tactic by by Tom to uh, to lose that one to to get the expectations where he needed him to level them back up come uh, playoff time. But um, that's that Mensa baby. <laughs> I mean, he. he we'll go back to the recap, but I mean, after the big Dicker field goal, there was still nine seconds. And I think he performed the first ever icing the quarterback on the next drive when Kyler came out, you know, that it's that next level thinking that, that I, I think he doesn't get enough credit for. I don't know if you knew that, but he is in fact Mensa. Yeah. He's, he's, he's the smartest coach in college football. For and sure. you may have also heard that Kyler Murray plays professional baseball, but if you, if you had the, the broadcast on mute, you may have missed those things for the past year. But anyways, I mean, <laughs> this was a game and we should really talk about it. You know, we, I think, uh, if there is anyone listening to this podcast who missed the game, maybe keep us on in the background. Maybe pause it. Go watch that game. That that's one of my favorite games uh, in a decade. I mean, maybe my favorite game in the last six or seven years, easily. Like, uh, it, it's hard. Maybe it's recency bias, but it's hard to think of anything uh, 
anything since Mac left that's that's been as fun as this uh, this game. Winning the bowl last year was obviously was cathartic, but this was this was huge. I mean, this was great, and and I mean, it was like we said earlier, kind of reference. It was all facets of of the game. Texas came in averaging you know a hair under thirty uh, and and scored forty eight. Now that might speak a little bit to OU's defense, which we referenced in our preview. Uh, but I think it also speaks to a team that was laser focused in uh, a coaching staff uh, and coordinators that called just a fantastic game. Um, I think, you know, gripes with a couple you new know, things here and there uh, aside, it was, it was, they saved some things up. It looked like for this, for this week that, that wheel route touchdown was, was beautiful. And I had been waiting for that. Um, I think we kind of said that, that maybe they had done just enough to get to here where they could let the, you know, the big finale where they light the end of the fireworks stand. Um, and and it, it proved, I mean, Ellinger played incredibly, um, you know, the, the, the entire team looked like they had had this one circled and they were waiting for this and they came and gave 100% of, of what they could during this game. Yeah. And I mean, you, you mentioned Sam Ellinger, rightfully so he has won essentially every offensive and quarterback uh, award for the week. He's Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week. Uh, you know, Davey O'Brien, a uh, weekly award winner for the second time, Manning Award Player of the Week. Like, he basically, anything that is offensive or quarterback related, he won it. 314 passing yards, 72 rushing yards. Uh, I believe he had a, re- a receiving uh, <laughs> reception in there as well. Five total TDs, uh, two passing and three rushing. Uh, Ellinger played easily the the best game of his career I'll say it easily the best game of his career and I I can't I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna dovetail into Ellinger apologetics here really quickly because as someone who was so far team Shane to start the year I feel like I have to but Sam Ellinger I think people aren't like they're finally tuning into how historic this season can be. So first six games, he's a yard shy of a three thousand yard passing season, fourteen hundred ninety nine yards. Um, if he manages to to basically just repeat what he did through the first six games, so if he hits another fourteen ninety nine, he'll be he'll have the seventh greatest season in Texas passing history, right behind Vince Young's Heisman Trophy finalist year. Uh, three rushing touchdowns in a conference game. Only two guys else have done that. Tyrone Swoops and the aforementioned Vince Young. Uh, 163 passes without an interception. So that's that's a school record right there. Uh, he's again tied with Vince Young for 12 200-yard passing games. Uh, all 12 of his starts. And now he sits next to Major Applewhite, Colt McCoy, and Peter Gardere as the only players with six straight 200-yard games. He also now has two of the four passing games for 300 yards or more um, in the Red River Showdown. So, like, we can we can, we can can say Sam Ellinger's been good. Sam Ellinger is on the cusp of being historic. And I cannot, I cannot understate how impressed I am after what happened in the end of the game against Maryland and how he's turned it around over the last five games. Yeah, and I mean, this was, he had 300 yards passing. You talk about all those stats. That's only the second time in his career he's been over 300 yards. Uh, he's been at 298. He's been close a couple times. But, you know, that just shows you 
he still has room to keep going, to grow, um, to you know hit a couple more long balls, to to stretch out his his arm, do do a couple things with his game. He's a sophomore. Remember that he's nineteen. He's in that pliable stage. Most of the times, you say with a nineteen year old, they can still put some muscle on that frame. I think he's covered in that department, but they can fine tune and tweak some aspects of his game to still get better. He's probably going to come in next year um, as one of the top, if not the top, right away um, quarterbacks. We'll talk about you know Brewer with, with Baylor and, and the kid from Tech Bowman uh, in, when we get there. But I think you know he, he comes right in instantly in that conversation as the best quarterback in the Big. 12 next year with a chance for two more years to be the starter um so i mean i think it truly is it truly is great and historic and, and this game was you know rightfully so a lot of him um i do think the you know the five tds are, are obviously it's a scoring game or the difference uh a difference in the game but you know i i think it's i think it's important to just step back and say he was throwing to guys who were who were who were making big plays he had the the option to hand the ball off to guys who were making big plays. This was an offense that the offensive line looked like they, you know, were up up to snuff from, you know, the biggest storyline in the offseason was, are they going to be good? We haven't really been talking about them, and that's the biggest compliment you could give to them. You don't have to think, are they going to be good enough? Um, I mean, Keonta Ingram came in, 13 carries, 86 yards, looked like uh, a kid who's, you know, been to three Red River rivalries before, didn't look scared of, you know, that nasty shade of crimson, even even in the slightest. Um, I mean, that's exciting that that kid's got a couple more of these uh, to come under his belt. But, I mean, obviously you have to give the, the yak the yak attack with, with Lil Jordan Humphrey and Colin Johnson just getting nasty, getting mean. Um, I mean, it's fun. When uh, Can you believe that we're talking about the Texas offense and saying, man, this was really, really fun to watch? Like, if, I mean... If you would have bet me fifty dollars that I, that we were coming out of coming out of this game saying that you know I I may have been too scared to take what I thought was easy money you know what I mean Yeah and I, the offense has just found a rhythm and I you know that quarterback power play that looked so awful last year it's amazing what an offensive line can do for a play like that and I think the fact that the offensive line is playing so consistently means guys like Rafiti Grimai and Junior Angelau can get a red shirt year and put some muscle on, put some weight on. Uh, so I'm, I'm loving what the offensive line has been able to do. Uh, you know, little Jordan Humphrey continues to assert himself. I'm glad that he's not draft eligible this year or Texas would probably be trying to find two number one receivers. And, and we, we say it all the time, but there's not a secondary in the conference that can match up with the pairing of Humphrey and Colin Johnson. Um, because I'm Colin Johnson just abused that OU secondary for most of the game where it was, he was single coverage on a guy who was six inches shorter than him. Like there's not much you can do about it. And he just abused those guys. So, and they finally, and the, the double digs to Humphrey and Colin Johnson, if they run that play every down, there's not, there's not a team that can stop them. Like run the double digs and have Wheeler run a little out route underneath have one of the running backs in the flat. Like that's the play that I run every down in NCAA 14 and people get mad at me like that. You just do it. Like that's what you need to run with those guys. I'm just, I, I, if you had told me that I would be raving about a Tim Beck offense coming out of the OU game, I would have said you're crazy. I'm just going to be real with you. I just said you're crazy. And, and if you want to nitpick, if you if you're a, if you're someone who's still you know really really hoping that Tim Beck can get himself fired, um, 
you know, I did not like how they went conservative in the end. And, and though the running game had been had been healthy up to that point, the fact that they just took the ball out of Ellinger's hands and those two receivers we just spent some time praising out of their hands and basically took that component out of their game. At that point, then maybe you see some flaws in that offensive line. Then maybe you see some flaws in the design of the, of the running scheme. You know, I just didn't like that truly on both sides of the ball, but on the offensive side of the ball in the fourth quarter towards the end, they got conservative and you saw what happened. OU was able to get back in it. Um, I think maybe that's a little bit gas defense or just, you know, Tyler making some plays or whatever it was. But on the offensive side, I don't want to see that. And I'll say to that, Keont- uh, Keontae Ingram is two holding calls away from a 100-yard game, though. Right. Like, I there he had a 10-yard rush and a 6-yard rush that were negated by a massive – Honestly, probably a couple of ticky-tack holding calls. Um, it's a real convenient time to call, finally call holding uh, in the fourth quarter when the team's trying to ice the game. But, I, you know, I was I was fine with those play calls in hindsight um, because they worked. Like, they were those running plays. If if Texas doesn't have two big Ingram runs negated, like, they were they were going into a second and short on both of those, those downs. So, I, it's hard for me to get super mad at that because – if those holding calls don't happen, then they go Ellinger power right. They get a first down and they milk more time off the clock on either of those drives. So really, um, you know, again, those drive killing penalties, we still can't figure out why they're happening, uh, but they're as infrequent as they can be. And they cost Texas against OU, but they didn't fatally cost Texas against OU. Yeah. And, and I mean, there was one play at the end on that, that game-winning drive that went in Texas' favor. It was a good call, but it was OU making that kind of penalty extended on Colin Johnson to pass interference. That's the thing you said with the matchup where he can't be covered. There's nothing else you could do, so you had to interfere. But basically after that, I mean, you had a, a Duvernay catch, uh, a Tim Beck, or excuse me, not a Tim Beck, an Andrew Beck catch, um, and, and, and Ellinger powered it to kind of get the first down to put it in space for the, the dicker, the kicker. So, I mean, when they needed to and the backs went against the wall, they were able to make plays. And so I think I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there except to say, you know, just remember that, I don't didn't want it to be missed. Uh, LGH did have the passing touchdown as well. Uh, could have been another Ellinger TD, but I love that they drew it up that way. Obviously, uh, the thing that came to my mind, a lot of people's mind, was the shades of the uh, when they finally threw out of the 18-wheeler package uh, from Swoops to Blewett for Charlie to get his one win uh, in the Cotton Bowl. And I thought uh, I couldn't help smiling thinking of that. Um, thought it was a fantastic play call and just executed perfectly. And so, um, you know, obviously Lil Jordan Humphrey did it with career highs, nine catches and 133 yards, but also threw himself a touchdown. So, you know, just just excited to see the growth uh, of all those guys and, and seeing them do it in the big game and seeing them do it in the fourth quarter when it mattered and seeing them do it all the way down to the freshman kicker, you know, with everything on the line, execute when you need to. That's what Texas is about, you know. There were a lot of... Uh, yeah. I'm going to just go back. There were a lot of games, if you think about uh, those Vince Young years. There were some they won by 70 points, but there was a lot of games that came down to one play. You had to execute, and you do it, and you win, and you remember yourself as a winner. There have been a lot of plays the past five years in Texas football where it needed one play, and they needed to execute, and they couldn't, and they lost a heartbreaker. So it's great to see to be on the other side of that script again. You know, we spent a long time talking about the offense, but uh, the defense, especially early in the second half, uh, was incredible for Texas. I mean, the, let's look at the drive. So OU's first drive of the, of the second half ended up, they scored, fast score, that's just what they do. Uh, but then fumble, punt, 
punt right in there in that middle that middle chunk Texas was able to score off of all of those yeah. uh, of all those turnovers so they scored off the fumble they scored off a three and out and then they hold them for another three and out to, to build a 21 point lead so the defense it's it's hard to, to to not talk about the defense here simply because they have played as good as I expected them to and then some because Going into the year, we were saying, can they be as good as they were last year? Mm-hmm. I don't know. They're they're maybe more talented than they were last year, but I don't know if they can play as well. And the fact that they held this OU team to basically 21 points through three quarters is incredible. OU, OU did most of its scoring in the final 10 minutes of the game. And for the first three quarters three quarters and 33 percent of the fourth quarter i didn't do the actual math on that because <laughs> math is hard with journalism majors uh but for the first majority of the game OU managed 21 points and everyone was shaking in their boots college game day said that texas can't slow down this OU offense well our best performing tweet of all time says otherwise <laughs> um so it's we've got to talk about the defense so brandon yeah. jones played a heck of a game Absolutely. nine tackles an interception. Uh, Brecken Hager did some weird ritualistic thing with the ball after he recovered recovered a fumble. I know he was play, he he said he was trying to cleanse his dad's legacy, which Breck's a weird guy. He is absolutely. If you haven't watched the post game interview, just watch anything that ever is posted that says Brecken Hager says or interview or does, and it's a video. Just watch. He's an odd human, but yeah, he said he sanctified the number sixty jersey. I love weird weird Breck. He's what a trip. So this is this is what I wanted to talk. I I said I was going to try to surprise you with some stats, Kyle. Well, first of all, um, we talked about turnovers. So Texas has not turned the ball over three straight games, which is a school record. Um, But on top of that, before before Texas entered this game and set that record, um, they they had some turnovers or they had they had four turnovers earlier or five turnovers, excuse me, early in the season, Mm which we we but. The the way that the defense bounces back from quick change situations, I'm just going to use the turnovers as a microcosm for that. So with the, the turnovers in the game, or with Texas's turnovers that have happened earlier in the season, forced two three and outs, a turnover on downs, blocked a field goal for a score, ended a game. Those are the five. So Texas has not allowed a uh, – in the first three games, they did not allow a point off a turnover. Actually, they scored off of a turnover, and then they haven't turned the ball over in three games, which is nuts. They're That's... scoring – they've scored 34 points on 10 turnovers. So every time Texas turns the ball over, they're scoring three points. Yeah, that's that's incredible. I mean, that's literally like – that you can't coach that any better. Like the credit has to certainly go to Todd Orlando and Tom Herman. Um, that's you can't coach any better, and that's obviously the players executing. But you know that's that's just how you draw it up. Like I can't say anything better. I mean, obviously we're still striving to get on the level of Kansas, who somehow weirdly has a thirteen <laughs> turnover margin this year. Like just again, I I can't not wait for our Kansas preview. But um, you know we're, we're a top twenty team in the nation in turnover margin. With think back to the Maryland game where it killed us. Like. When this team protects the ball, when they get takeaways on defense, it makes it nasty. But when they protect the ball and keep that margin climbing, I mean, that's been the difference. We said earlier, turnovers, time of possession. I mean, we're not 
we're not Nostradamus, we're not calling things, but we've said if they win that and they win that, they'll win the game. And we've said that a couple of weeks and they've done that because it's pretty easy, this football stuff, when you get down to the nuts and bolts and stop with the uh, motion jet double sweep pass t- turns, when you actually get down to the meat, uh, you want to stop the other guys, you want to take the ball if you can, and you want to hold on to the ball for a long time and put it put it in the end zone a couple times. You know, it's it's real simple. Um, but yeah, to be right now, they're they're tied for, uh, I believe, 14th. Um, in the country, um, in in turnover margin, I mean they, they're they're one of the better teams in the country at that, and the way they're trending, like you said, they're only going to get better, and especially with some maybe vulnerable offenses and some younger quarterbacks that they're facing. They faced, I mean, they obviously still have Will Greer, who himself has been susceptible, but they faced, you know some incredible guys. I mean, don't, don't forget this Texas team in, under Tom Herman's era has faced like six Heisman candidates, you know, Kyler Murray being the most recent of them, but they've, you know, the Sam Darnolds and uh, of course, Will Greer last year and coming up this year. I mean, they faced some really, really good quarterbacks. Um, so, I mean, they have some, some stuff still on the schedule, but they're doing this um, against the toughest opponents. They've, they've done that and they, they have looked very, very good. And I just wanted to say to Brandon Jones specifically, it was very, very heartwarming to uh, to see a player who um, A&M had, had put their entire, you know, had, had written in three of those blank uh, national championship trophies on in Kyler Murray, throw a, a interception to um, the only player I know of to intercept uh, an Aggie commit who had a uh, A&M hype video uh, and recruitment story video about their win in the recruiting trail and getting him. So let's uh, let's say big big game for the Aggies as well, uh, who they themselves you know uh, got up on a stoop. So good good for y'all. But uh, you know a lot of lot of former <laughs> former Aggie pledges out here doing the work in the uh, the Lord's Conference. So uh, good for Brandon Jones. Excited <laughs> to see him. Um, he was a guy in the beginning of the year we said you know needs to live up to the potential, um, and I think he's turning that corner and he looked really good and leading the team in tackles and having the interception. Um, and then, of course, our line. I mean, our line getting pressure is the thing we've been calling for. And, and you know, seeing seeing Omenahu, seeing Chuck, the Chuck wagon rolling, seeing Breck doing Breck things, seeing uh, B.J. Foster being the scariest guy on the field, um, you know, but seeing Nelson getting penetration all day. Uh, it's, it's nice when Texas lives in the opponent's backfield. Good things happen. So, I mean, Gary Johnson getting downhill, being, being in places to make plays like the fumble recovery. I mean, it's good. The defense looked good there's still going to be big plays but that Oklahoma offense is one of the best in the country it's not I mean Lincoln Riley is is a very 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 good offensive coach one of the best in the country there's no doubt about it so I mean it's like well they gave up 45 points how are you praising the defense well I mean they gave up 45 points to a 60 point offense at any time that could be a 60 point offense I think you cannot understate that the fact that they held OU to basically under their season average is is incredible, and I want to I want to shout out a couple things. One, our man who does not show up on the stat sheet, if ever, Chris Nelson, the full Nelson, he doesn't get the credit he deserves. But a lot of the success of the middle of this defense is because that guy requires two blockers. Like on several of the tackles for loss, he was just like, "Hey, th- these a gaps, y'all ain't doing that." Like this is my this is my spot. 
Y'all aren't doing it. And so that was incredible. Uh, he played in the backfield a ton um, on uh, BJ Foster's sack. It was actually something really interesting. If you watch that film, that was a that was a delayed safety linebacker twist stunt, which you don't see very often. Uh, yeah. But it looked like the defense was compensating for Wheeler, and that's why Foster was able to come free. But what I wanted to talk about is you, you mentioned him, the man we call Chuck. Uh, <laughs> he only had three tackles, two for a loss and one for a sack in the game. But he has, over the last two games, 60% of Texas's sacks. So Texas has five sacks over the last two games, and he has three of them. Texas has 39 yards of sacks. Charles who has 23 yards worth. But even, even more impressive than that is he obviously directly accounted for points last game. He had the, he had the safety on Delton. Yep. This game, so his, like, there was the series where he took over where it was the sack, and then the next play he had the tackle for a loss on a design play. Yep. Guess what happened when Texas got the ball back after OU punted? Score. 75 yards and a score. Yep. 75 and a score to go up, to go up 14 points. Like, Charles Amenahu being the man that he knows he can be uh-huh. is a difference maker for this Texas defense. Hands down. Yeah, and... and I'm, Hands down. Yeah, we said it in the season preview. We said, you know, they're... they're Texas obviously didn't have a good enough year that the guys who were fringe draft candidates could leave and, and check their stock. You don't get that bump from from being on a, on a good team like that. And they benefited with a guy like Amenahu coming back. I don't know, you know, if he would have if that was a nine win team last year, but you know, he definitely looked. The rumblings were there. Him coming back and and if the, the trend he's on right now continues through the end of Big Twelve play, kids getting drafted. I mean, he's he's playing like a Sunday player. Uh, he's just he's he's a handful for for tackles. Like I said, he's getting in the backfield, making plays. He has uh, you know multiple quarterback hurries and pressures this year. Um, he he's doing something over there. And like you said, with Nelson um, and kind of Hager Hager with the uh, the the propensity he has for just coming up big at any moment. You know, it, it's tough when you have a guy you always have to account for on the opposite side, away from those two, plus the entire rest of the defense and whatever blitz package Orlando is bringing. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's part of what makes that tick and he's part of the uptick we're seeing uh, with this defense executing. So, you know, the things that I take away is the line is finally looking as good as we hoped it would. Uh, the, the secondary looks good. You know, Stearns is continuing to play well. Obviously, seeing Brandon Jones, you know, make a step up is fantastic. And, you know, the other young kids that, I mean, I, I just think B.J. Foster is securing himself as a as a part of that, that crazy recruiting class that was so hype and is going to, you know, take it to the next level. I'm still excited to see what Cook and Overshown can do with a little more game time. But, you know, it's proving to be that a game-changing recruiting class can be a game-changer on the field. Um, so, you know, I think when we look at this recruiting class coming in this year and, and soon, a couple of weeks here, I think, uh, I think we'll, you know, we'll really try to project and see if there's another group that can be this immediate or, you know, if, if this can be the actual direct impact and correlation into the, into the wins column uh, that we've had this year, because this might truly be shaping up to be uh, a one of a kind class. Yeah, I mean, between Ellinger in 17, mm-hmm. this group in 18, the the most important thing to me is that the young guys that need to be playing now are playing like they, sh- like they should be on the field. Mm-hmm. Or in the past, it's been, we just have to have these guys. And now it's, we just, these guys are the best guys on the field. And, you know, so the fact that you've got those young guys that can play up to a I'm going to say it at a championship level uh, is, is incredible. And then the fact that Ellinger has emerged as a guy who will start for 
probably four years because he's he just loves being at the University of Texas. So him playing for a junior and a senior year is not out of the question as he gets better is just setting up the bench to be deeper because you've got a guy like Cam Rising or Casey Thompson who can redshirt and have a, a, a freshman sophomore year and come in as an upperclassman developed and ready to go with years in the system. You've got a guy like Rashawn Johnson in the 2019 class. You've got Hudson Card in the 2020 class. So there's there's going to be if this trajectory continues, I'll say, there's going to be depth like we have not seen mm-hmm. since 2009, right. 2010. Right. Like, it's, it's, it's just impressive to see how quick this turnaround has happened. Now, we could be seeing a completely different tune seven days from now, but right. as it looks right now, the future is bright. Yeah, and just one more thing before we move on to seven days from now is I don't think we've spent you know enough time talking about him because he is the, the, the MVP of the game, but the best freshman in this class, clearly, Cameron Dicker, the kicker. I know we gave some stats earlier, obviously told what he did, but he also filled out the stat sheet. He did have a tackle on one of his three kickoffs. He had nine kickoffs, six went for touchback on one of the three he has a tackle. So he's filling out the entire stat sheet. Six extra points, six touchbacks, game-winning field goal, two over 40, and he had a uh, and he had a tackle. So, I mean, ticker the kicker. You're all around MVP. And way too much swagger for a man <laughs> with that much baby face. Like, let's just be real. Like, nobody that cannot grow facial hair should not have that much swag. Oh, like, man. I'm just saying. Like, dude, like the wink and the nod to the camera before the kick. <sighs> and then when they asked this dude about the kick after the game, he said, I wasn't worried about it. I knew I was going to make it. Oh, I love like, it. Come on with it. I love it. Cocky kickers, man. That's That's our new swag. I love it. Dixon, Tucker. Dicker, let's let's keep it going. This is awesome. That's that's a, that's a dude from the rich part of Austin. That's all I'm gonna <laughs> say. So uh, Texas now uh, is sitting at number nine in the Associated Press poll, number fourteen in the coaches poll. Funny side note with that: Tom Herman said, "I don't watch much college football. I put us at 11. Uh, <laughs> in his press conference today, which is hilarious. Uh, but so Texas is taking on Baylor, who's four and two. They're two and one in conference, coming off on a tight win over Kansas state so the baylor offense can move the ball yep scoring 35 almost 36 points a game they're basically half a yard off from 500 yards a game on offense so this is going to be a challenge this is simultaneously not and is your grandmother's baylor i don't know how (laughs) how that goes but that's what i'm going to say charlie brewer is a heck of a quarterback i mean you mentioned him before he's going to be the guy competing with sam ellinger next year for him and old law firm out of uh, lubbock uh, who's going to be competing for the best quarterback in the conference so what what's your feelings going into baylor this year well you know i i think matt rule is a good coach he also you know looks like he's uh won the masters every time he goes to a press conference in that green jacket but uh I think he's actually a good coach, and he did a great job, you know, in, in Temple getting getting the Baylor, to the Baylor job. And but everyone knew it was going to be a complete rebuild. It was a you buy that house, it's a fixer upper. Chip and Joanna, there's your tie-in. Um, but you know, you buy that house, it's a complete. That was good. Thank you, thank you. You, it's a complete, you know, rega. You're not just tearing down a wall and finding some ex- shiplap you didn't know wasn't there, or Shipley, uh, as it were, for for uh, the Longhorns. But um, <laughs> no more Chip and Joanna jokes, I promise. Um, but no, I mean, you were tearing that to the ground, raising that, you know, to the ground, buying the lot, and you're going to build it all the way back up. And so, I mean, 
you knew Baylor was going to be bad for a couple of years. Matt Rule is a good enough coach that he might just turn Baylor into where it isn't your grandmother's Baylor. You know, don't forget Texas had a 12-game win streak from 98 to 09 before they lost to Baylor for the first time in literally that century. Um, you know, so it, it, this used to be a one-sided thing. And, and then obviously Art Bryles came and it was a, you know, it was a program. It was a real, real deal thing. And I'm not saying Rule is going to take Baylor right back to where, where Bryles had him, but this is no longer a pushover team. Um, and I think they're getting on the cusp of that, like you said, with with uh, Charlie Brewer, who's a great quarterback and some real good receivers and just, you know, a, a pretty potent offense with some with some players on it. I think they're probably another year away from really, you know, scaring anyone too, too much. Um, but, you know, this isn't this isn't a team that you want to just overlook completely. You've seen Texas do that a little bit. I'm not going to, you know, sit here and speak for what the coaches were doing, but, you know, it almost felt like with the Tulsa game looking forward to the USC game and with um with this uh, this Kansas State game before the OU game it's like you know the Oklahoma State game looms with a potentially you know dangerous team there uh, in West Virginia you know down the line is there any chance that they look and I don't think there is I don't think Texas is going to let Baylor sneak up on them in any way or have a letdown coming off of OU but you have to be on your cards you have to you know you you, you have to be ready um, for them to come out they scored 30 some odd points on that OU defense as well you know they'll punch you in the mouth I do think you can move the ball and I think Ellinger uh, and, and especially getting that run game going and, and the receivers I think again create the, all the same things we said Mitch Matt's excuse me, mismatch um, problem. So I don't think this is a game we should be scared of. I just think this is a game that you have to be ready to come in and play your best game in. Yeah, and I think Baylor is the team that if you overlook them, they're going to beat you. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's what Baylor is this year. Because they will put up 600 yards yeah. and 45 points on you. They will. So the I think the good thing about this Baylor matchup is that Texas hasn't really, after Maryland, overlooked anybody. Right. That's been their mantra all year, and I I don't normally buy the coach speak one and O BS, but it the the proof is in the pudding mm-hmm. at this point. Texas has come out and they they beat who they need to beat every every week. So uh, I think the thing that um, that interests me about this Baylor matchup is just the way that Baylor seems to turn the ball over a little bit. Um, you know, they've thrown a couple of interceptions. Brewers thrown two, uh, McClendon has thrown one. Uh, and then one of their random situational quarterbacks has thrown one. I think they had like a double pass situation, uh, that happened. And then they fumbled the ball three times or they've lost three fumbles. They fumbled it 13 times. So Texas is a team that's turning opponents over at a plus five clip. So I think if there's one thing to look out for this week, it's, it's that turnover situation where if Texas can, can force a couple of turnovers, Early, they can turn this thing into a boat race really, really fast uh, and take the wind out of the Baylor sails. And I think that's that to me is going to be the key to the game. If Texas can, this would be a game that if Texas can go up early, this would be a game for them to prove that they know how to close because they're going to need that. Oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm two two kind of belly predictions here coming straight from the gut. Um, just you know, reading the tea leaves, looking at the numbers, looking at the team, looking at the matchup, sure, but. Still, just going out on a limb here, I think this could be the health, you know, is the is the biggest factor. I think this could be Keontae Ingram's first 100-yard game. I think they could feed him. I mean, uh, Baylor has given up, you know, 175 yards on the ground. I mean, they are susceptible. They they aren't the biggest, baddest, meanest in the middle. Um, and Keontae Ingram is our best runner 
between the tackles and he's slippery and he makes that first cut and I could see them averaging seven yards you know a, a carry on his way to a hundred yard game so first hot take bold you know gut prediction there um, and the second one is is that the uh, the wolf of, of DKR gets to return home back to the uh, the stomping grounds with his pack uh, and, and Caden Stearns is at least one I'll say one not going to go to uh, Caden Sturge will be one of the turnovers that Texas defense uh, forces from either Brewer or maybe, maybe a couple more fumbles uh, from, from the running backs or receivers on that team. So I do think Stearns has a turnover and I do think Ingram has a hundred yards and our freshmen continue to, you know, look like they're 22 years old already. These, these really incredible true freshmen that we're playing. I almost said the Ingram thing and I left it for you because I knew how much you wanted it. <laughs> I could feel it. Uh, I could feel it through the internet. that That's what you wanted. I left it for you. Yeah, no, I think, I think Ingram goes off this game. I also think uh, I'm feeling a strip sack probably from from Chuck. Maybe um, maybe Breck decides that he wants to wants to get a strip sack this week. Uh, but I I feel like there's going to be a, a couple of turnovers. I think probably one early and one toward the third quarter uh, that allows Texas to just put some. Uh, put some distance between them and maybe get some other guys some reps uh, late in the game. That'd be interesting to see. Uh, But it wasn't all football this weekend, even though we wanted it to be. Uh, So the the Texas basketball organization has announced that they will be having the Texas tip-off, which is both men's and women's basketball, scheduled for the 17th which is right around the freaking corner. We're uh, nine days out from that. Kyle, can you believe it's already basketball season? No, and I, I'm excited for it. I mean, the the the, the Texas basketball kind of hype train's been rolling. We had some big recruits. We obviously we we've told the, the Andrew Jones story, and just you know, it's been in the news enough. There's been enough things happening that's kept it top of mind that it's kind of felt like it's always been there. Um, but it was kind of it's been the perpetual loud off season. It hasn't been basketball season, but yeah, it's it's here. We're coming. Um, I think it's awesome they're doing the kickoff kind of tip off game or um, event, and I really hope a lot of people come out for that. Um, you know, it's going to be cool. I think it's other schools do this, and it's a cool tradition. And I'm excited to see. Um, how that goes i think they may have done it last year but not with the women's as well so excited to see that i don't not going to give del conte all the credit for this but again that's a focus from the athletics department in general that i'd love to see um so yeah i mean i'm stoked for basketball season i love football obviously is my favorite sport i love baseball um there's just something about uh ut basketball i remember going to the Irwin center for the the kevin durant ac law the 15th or fourth um, overtime game that was just incredible. One of my favorite UT sports memories. So, um, and I covered the basketball team when I was in college. So, I mean, I have, I have some, some great affinity for that team. So I'm, uh, I'm ready to lace up my, my, my burn orange kicks and, and get that one kicked off. Well, and I think it's so cool that the tip, tip off event is free, mm-hmm. completely free for fans. And it's at, it's at Gregory's, which is strategic because if you don't know, Gregory gym is right next to Jester dormitory, which is where all the students live. So right. all the all the young students, the ones that live on campus. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, the turnout for that because I think if you can drum up some excitement and fill the drum uh, routinely, because that's kind of Del Conte's thing is getting the fans out to games and creating a home field, a home court advantage uh, for the team. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, so Emily Hoffman uh, was named the Big 12 Women's Golfer of the Month for the month of September she was able to turn in a 69.5 average round on the month which I don't know if I could even touch 69 and a half once much left get below it 
to bring that as my average. There's no way on God's green earth I could get anywhere close to that on a par three, probably. Yeah, I was, I was, I was so shocked where you were going with that. Sorry, I didn't mean to. T- I mean, you said you're not sure you could do that once. I'm not sure you could do that on on a front nine, Gerald. Come on, that's 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 <laughs> on a un- pitch and putt. I couldn't do it on a pitch. <laughs> All right, and putt there we now. go. All right, now it makes sense. That's I mean that's unbelievable. So good for her. That's that's a great month, and I hope it continues for our women's golf team that's having a really good year. <laughs> I, I don't know where I was going with that either. I just kind of just started and, and we ended up at a pitch and putt, which <laughs> kind of feels like college for us again, Kyle. That's about right. uh, and then on Wednesday, uh, Texas junior outside hitter Mikayla White became the 20th player in school history to record a thousand kills in her career, which big ups to her. You know, you are we're this is a podcast hosted by two guys that got to see the likes of Destiny Hooker on campus, who is one of, if not the greatest hitters in Texas volleyball history. So mm-hmm. Kyle, um, you and I admitted volleyball fans, volleyball was one of my top two sports to cover. The other one being women's basketball, simply because they're always so excited when you're there to cover them. Uh, so Kyle, <laughs> what's, what's your, what are your thoughts and feelings on this one? I know you've got some volleyball takes in you. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, this is the long tradition of Texas, uh, having fantastic volleyball players, but I mean, she has a chance to, to really go down as an all timer. Remember she's a junior already a two time all American, most likely on her way to her third, um, could very well be four of those, which is nice. She's, uh, you know, over a thousand kills. Um, she's, I think, four behind the next person. She'll start moving up this list pretty rapidly where she's at 20. Um, you know, and, and there are some, some caveats. About six of the names above her played um, at least some part of their career when there was a rally scoring to 30 points. So you could actually have more of those. So, um, you know, I, I do think that. I do think that you know you have to take these lists with with a grain of salt, but I think what you can easily say uh, is that that Mikaya is going to be you know an all time Longhorn legend uh, hitter you know by the time she's finished up here. And so get out there and support the volleyball team. They're I think uh, still undefeated in Big Twelve play. They beat uh, Iowa State and TCU I believe this past week. So uh, you know if you're if you're there and uh, on campus, check them out. They're uh, they're they're number four in the country and uh, only getting better as the year goes on. It's good to see that all of the Texas sports have potential to be good because it's always been where everything but football is happy at Texas. And now it's everything across the board is uh, is going to be good. So that brings us to the part of the show where we honor the best one of the best traditions in the college sports. But (laughs) I uh, we've got a little story to tell. So last week, Kyle and I made an offhanded joke. If saying if somebody could get our logo on college game day, we would for the foreseeable future have them as the title sponsor to bang the drum. Well, I didn't I didn't see the logo on college game day, but earlier in the week, our uh, our Twitter lit up at Longhorn Pod and we got a tweet from uh, Joseph R. Ruiz one is the name. And in Joseph, if you're out there, if you go by Joseph or Joe, either one, I'm going to call you Joe because that's what it feels like right to me. Um, Joseph sent us a picture. He works at the MD Anderson Cancer Center, which means that on his worst day, he does more significant work than Kyle and I have in (laughs) our lives combined. Uh, But he took some time out of his day to make a sign with our logo on it and also just snap a selfie with Jim Allison, who, if you don't know who Jim Allison is, uh, Kyle, do you want to inform the folks who Jim Allison is? 
Uh, so Jim Allison is a uh, Nobel laureate. Uh, he, he has done something with his life, un- unlike the rest of most of us, but certainly those on this podcast who, you know, we think uh, we think putting in eight hours of work and still still making a sandwich. We've really had a had a day. Um, the man just won won the Nobel Prize. I think he's the the uh, sixth, or the, the eighth, I believe, uh, according to to uh, the, the poster, which had all the stats on there is uh, uh, OU has zero and, and UT uh, UT has another as of this week. So he is our latest. Uh, in a long line of successful, uh, incredible Longhorns. You know, we, we focus on sports on this podcast, but we try to make a point to prove that, uh, you know, UT is, is an academic institution of, of the highest order. Um, you know, un, unreal that, that this man who I just retweeted, you know, the, the Alcalde or the Texas X's Twitter account or the official university Twitter account saying he got it and liked, you know, Fenves's post about it and, you know, saw the, the Dallas Morning News and the Houston Chronicle. And I mean, this is the big story, you know, the UT Nobel prize winner what do i see come across our timeline but a a picture that looks surprisingly like that guy who won the nobel prize that really really smart and distinguished guy uh staring back at at selfie distance next to next to our logo with an at longhorn pod uh handle underneath it and i mean Mama, I made it. I immediately called my mom to tell her the story. I, you know, I, I was, yeah, I was, I was driving and, and saw the saw the thing and, and ha- almost had to pull over so I didn't get in a wreck. My girlfriend had to, you know, calm me down with my nerves shaking. It's unreal. I, I couldn't believe it. It's one of the most surreal moments of of my time on this earth. So thank you uh, very much for giving us something that I don't think is even in, in the realm of what we deserve. Yes, outside of marrying my wife and seeing my child born, this is one of the coolest things that ever happened to me. So for the first time ever and for the foreseeable future, we present to you Bang the Drum, brought to you by Joseph R. Ruiz, where you can follow him on Twitter at Joseph R. Ruiz 1. So again, Bang the Drum, brought to you by Joseph Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? I am Joseph Ruiz banging the drum on um, a, a certain a certain promise that was made and, and has since since been fulfilled. So, I mean, you and I obviously keep up with the recruiting. I think we're going to talk soon about this most recent class, but there was a a, a pretty good prospect who it, it, it seems is going to redshirt this year named Keandre Coburn. And Keandre was a guy who was, you know, he was hotly recruited. He was one of the best defensive tackles uh, in the country, you know, one of the top 10, 15 players in the entire state of Texas last year at any position. Just a, a, a hot recruit um, out, of, out of Houston Westfield down the, down the road from me. And, uh, and you know, all the schools that you could imagine that, that would be in that conversation were in that conversation for him. He ultimately made the, the right decision to stay at home. Mama called. He went to the University of Texas. And uh, he tweeted out, you know, so happy to, to finally be a Longhorn. Um, you know, it's been a process, whatever, whatever. Just kind of said, this is the thing, right? This is me making my recruiting announcement. Every player does. It'll be with joining the Revolution class, which it clearly seems to be. And he said at the bottom of it, and I promise we will beat OU and the rest of them and, and put a hook'em sign. Standard thing by an excited 18, probably 18-year-old announcing where he's going to play college football. No one thinks much of it. We say, you know, we are vehemently on record as saying, don't tweet at the recruits. Just life don't practice. Do it. Don't tweet at recruits. Don't do it. Yeah. That apparently doesn't apply to to then, you know, college players and now NFL player Baker Mayfield, who immediately 
replied to, uh, to to Mr. Coburn saying, this is what we call being naive. Kid has no idea what it's like stepping into the Cotton Bowl, so here's how it works. The team north of the Red River doesn't flinch, but it's okay. You'll see for the best. Uh, see for yourself. Wish you the best. Um, a couple things here. That's petty and not even in the fun way. Like, you can like Baker for his antics and it's kind of, you know, fun. This isn't the fun Baker. This is the real crappy Baker, why a lot of people hate this guy, uh, including his own teammates and NFL executives. But anyways, um, it's not good. And and Keandre went ahead and screenshotted that. And I hope he used it for motivation. I hope he shared it with some of his friends. But what Mr. Coburn did uh, on October 6th, Saturday, uh, at 3.52 p.m., was was he, he did include that screenshot of, of Baker, you know, clapping back at him in, in a weak effort and, and, and had a picture of him wearing the golden hat in his first year on campus. Didn't even take him but, you know, six months. He got said golden hat threw the horns up, took a picture, and said, a promise is a promise, tagged Baker Mayfield, and threw a, uh, threw a shush emoji for good measure, um, ultimately beating Baker Mayfield on the internet. And uh, if he was on the field yesterday, would have been on the field. There was nothing that was going to make OU win uh, in his first game. I am excited to see this kid. Like I said, he's going to redshirt this year. I'm excited to see this kid. I love Longhorns who, who live for this hate who live for this rivalry, your Sams, your Brex, these guys who are, you know, buy all the way in and feed on it. Um, and I'm excited to see him just knock whoever the OU quarterback is next year right in the teeth because uh, I don't think this goes away for him, that uh, that chip that he's got on his giant 300-some-odd-pound shoulder. So uh, I'm banging the drum for Keandre Coburn, who's right now my favorite, uh, favorite Longhorn who hasn't seen a down uh, of game time on the field. Pettiness is my second language. And so anytime I get to appreciate other people being petty, I'm, I'm all for it. I am, I am all for it. So I love, I loved the, the petty response to, by the way, Baker clearly got the 280 characters earlier than everybody else, because I don't think I was hitting 280 character tweets when he sent this tweet to Keandre Coburn a year ago and he used his power for <laughs> ill, not for good. So that's just proves the kind of human he is. Uh, so I am Joseph Ruiz banging the drum this week on the curse of Jermichael Finley. So Kyle and I have gone on record seeing that the tight end position at the University of Texas is cursed. And through no fault of any player, there have been some really great athletes and some even better people that have played the tight end position for the University of Texas in the last 12 to 15 years. But after Jermichael Finley decided to leave early and go to the NFL, it seems like there hasn't been someone that's been able to be as consistent as your Michael Finley. There's, you know, Caleb Blewett was great and he was, you know, he played for a couple of years, but he wasn't really the pass catching guy. He was the blocking guy. Um, there weren't really a ton of guys that you had to be worried about as dual threats. Um, and so Andrew Beck, the one man wrecking crew, the I'm going to fight three Kansas players by myself guy. Uh, I think I'm going to say it has broken the curse of Jermichael Finley because he is, by pro football focus, one of the top three blocking tight ends in the country. So there's one. And then two, he's the first tight end since Jermichael Finley to have three or more receptions in multiple games. So if you've got a guy that can block, you got a guy that can catch, who is able to come up with one or two clutch catches on a third and medium, I think you've got a, a tight end that can get the job done. So I'm going to say it. Here and now, Cursor Jermichael Finley, broken. Done. 
over with. Tight ends at the University of Texas are going to be incredible. That's right. You heard it. A a Longhorn Republic exclusive. Gerald and I invented the curse of Jermichael Finley, so we are the only ones who the arbiters of of declaring this curse over and uh, as per the rules of the internet, uh, when you hear the rap air horn, a decree has been made. So I'm excited to hear that, Gerald. I'm uh, I'm excited to see the the years and years of prolific success from the tight end position from here and going forward. That's best news all week. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see it. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. Um, you can find me at uh, the Texas Pregamer, which uh, which I read over for Barking Carnival. I think OU's was really, really, really good. Um, even if you uh, you know are, are doing like the team and focusing on Baylor, go back and read that one if you missed it. It was... Uh, it was petty, and it hate we can extend for a couple of days. Go check it out. But uh, but yeah, so you can find me at the at the Texas Pregamer as well uh, on Twitter. So uh, so check either of those out. Kyle, hate week is three hundred and sixty five days long. <laughs> you can read it whenever you want. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am at gh Godage. Please follow the show at Longhorn Pod. We live tweet through every football game and a lot of basketball games too. Uh, you can shoot us an email, get in on the conversation. Again, our man Joseph got in on the conversation in a huge way and now his name is on the podcast each and every week. Uh, but thank you so much everybody for tuning in this weekend. Until next time, hook em. Hook em. Oh, you still suck. <laughs> <laughs>